Welcome to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Uh, this is the uh, semi-annual edition of the podcast. It's been a while. Aaron, uh, life has gotten frantic for both of us. You just came back from a vacation in Flagstaff, Arizona, one of my favorite places. Uh, Tell me about that. I took my wife there to celebrate her birthday. Uh, we did a birth week, and she told me at the end of the week it was the best birthday of her life, which I take as a wow, big that, win. That is a win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, this was an education for me. I, I, I guess I'm ignorant. I didn't understand that it, you could be sweating in Phoenix in the morning and skiing in Flagstaff in the afternoon. Heck yeah. Yeah, you just drive uphill. Uh, what a fantastic uh, time it was. I'll bet you hung out at that awesome brick building that had the pizza brewery place. Oh, yeah, sure. It's absolutely there. You bet. We were there. There were four breweries within walking distance of the house we rented. Sounds like a Larkin place to be. Oh, wait. Well, am I allowed to ask? For a while, you were not consuming alcohol. Yes. Uh, no, no. I am. I am. I've become an alcohol minimalist. I like that phrase. So an occasional beer. And especially during times of celebration, is fine. So that's that's what we did. Uh, did you did you jump over the Grand Canyon? Because that's what an hour and a half drive. We did. It's hilarious, you know. Uh, part of the birthday present for my wife is that we flew Kristen, our daughter, out to spend three days with us. And I picked her up at the Denver, or uh, yeah, at, not Denver, at the Phoenix Airport on Sunday morning, and we're we're waiting down in baggage claim for her bags to come through. And I said, Kristen, you watch for your bag. I'm going to go over here to the Starbucks. What do you want? So I go over and I'm, I'm waiting for her dirty chai. And all of a sudden I hear, Nate, I turn around <laughs> and it's, and it's, and it's my buddy, Brent Warren, the uh, songwriter who I see every morning at Starbucks in Franklin. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, are you in every Starbucks in the world? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we laughed and I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I, it's, I'm here with my daughter. She's just, it's her 13th birthday. And in our family, when you turn 13, you get to take a trip with dad anywhere in the U S you want to go. And she wants to go to the grand Canyon. So we're going to the grand Canyon. What are you doing here? And I said, well, I, I'm picking up my daughter and we're going to go to the grand Canyon. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, uh, it was hilarious. It was fun. So yes, we did go to the grand Canyon. It's uh, it's big. It's beautiful. Uh, camera cannot begin to capture the scene. Were the grandkids there for that as well? No, 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 no. Just, just Kristen. Just Kristen. Yeah. So she and her mom, and we did Sedona, and we did Jerome. and. Uh, did you it, go to Walnut Canyon? I did, absolutely. Did you go down to the – so here's, here's the deal, because now we're getting kind of specific to people. Yeah, yeah. They don't care. But uh, when I was uh, 10, my dad bought an old, like, 1955 Chevy motorhome. Uh-huh. And uh, we spent two-plus months driving across the United States. Wow. But we broke down in Flagstaff, so we rented a Pinto. And, <laughs> and uh I just remember running down that canyon because they said, okay, you can have like an hour. Nobody else wanted to go down with me. So I just ran down that canyon and was so in awe of the, the cave dwellings. And just, yeah. like, this is where people live. This is somebody's home so long ago. Yeah. It blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. That was fantastic. 
Um, yeah, we went out there one day. Allie, there's no way Allie, with her knee replacements and all that kind of stuff, was going to brave the 360 steps it took to get down to the bottom of that thing. Uh, and she just stood at the top and worried about me the whole time I was gone. <laughs> Quite concerned I was going to have a heart attack or the wind was going to carry me away or something. Uh, but That's yeah. how you know you're loved. Exactly. But it what a spectacular sight there. At, and I had no idea that the Walnut Canyon National Monument even existed. I did want to get out to, to Antelope. Uh, is it called Antelope Canyon? Uh, there are other cliff dwellings about 60 miles away that we didn't get to go to. But at least I got to see some. Oh, it was wonderful. So, uh, and how about you here? Uh, I don't think you've been able to get away on vacation since we last spoke. You've been working hard. No, been a, been a lot of seven-day weeks lined up in a row. I am looking forward to this Saturday being a, a day of rest, hopefully. Mm. So, uh, but yeah, we're, we're getting a little rain, which is nice. I think we're almost up to seven inches for the year. Um, so we're still a little short of what we need, but the rain has pushed all of the mice into my shed now. <laughs> so I am constantly getting jump scared by one climbing out of the wall or being up on my speaker or sound paneling or coming out from under the door. And they often just stare at me. They're very cute. So I keep putting in my mind, like, don't be disturbed. This is just like Cinderella. These are my little friends. They will make me a dress if I ask. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the most annoying thing is at night, they really get active. And I usually come out to work like around four-ish in the morning and so they're still just in full full running around mode and so the the sound of mice nails scraping on my thin wood paneling that i put up in this shed yeah it's just a horrible sound and it's you can't picture them as being cute at that point it's much oh, more like my. a horror movie yeah yeah so yeah today i'm receiving in the mail one of those ultrasonic deals you plug in and it emits a sound it got pretty good reviews uh so that's i'll be interested to to hear whether that actually works i've bought the deer whistles to put on my bumper uh they seem to attract deer <laughs> but have you hit any uh no no boom that worked there it okay. is okay five star review on amazon <laughs> I figure when I was reading the reviews, uh, I felt like a lot of the negative ones were in big houses and big spaces. Yeah. But I mean, heck, this is like a eight by 10 shed. It's yeah. got to be able to, to, you know, mess with their little earballs. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Room. So yeah, I'll, I'll keep you posted. It can be an ongoing uh, conversation. Are and, the mice and still podcast listeners, if, if you hear an annoying background noise in subsequent uh, episodes of the Pirate Monk podcast, you'll know that's just in service of keeping the mice at bay. <laughs> that's right. If you have very sensitive ears uh, or you have pets or actually if you have a mice, uh, a mouse problem in your house, just turn up the speakers really loud and you <laughs> might see the difference. Uh, <laughs> All right. It's an added benefit. There it is. We, we want to give. Well, we have a great uh, 
conversation coming up, uh, and I, th- I think we should get to it. Yeah. Talk, talking about single parents today with a guy that's got a lot to say on the subject. Yes, Robert Beeson will be with us, and believe me, folks, you want to hang on for this, for this conversation. Uh, we will be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Let's forget about the tongue-tied lightning It's undressed just like cross-eyed strangers This is not a joke, so please stop smiling What was I thinking when I said it didn't hurt? Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast uh, on this very special episode. I'm so excited to have as our guest an old friend, not that he's old, but a, a friend, a guy I've known for a good long while and a guy who I deeply love. Robert Beeson is with us. Hi, Robert. Hey there. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here and honored that you'd ask me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you're very much we don't, we don't. We don't hide things from the listeners. Go ahead, Nate. Go, you, you can tell them. This is this this is deja vu. Oh, okay. All right. So the, the <laughs> I was going to say this feels like we've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Nate forgot to push record the first time we did this interview, uh, which was about uh, thirty minutes ago. So we get to do it all over again. This time without the profanity. <laughs> oh man, that was the best. Oh my. <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. No, well, actually I've been meaning to have Robert on the podcast for a good long time, but what triggered it this time is the release of a book that just came out a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, I guess, uh, going solo. Who's the, who's the publisher? Is it Zondervan? Uh, focus on the family, focus on the family, focus on the family in Tyndale. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I think they're all owned by one massive conglomerate. (laughs) Really? Right? (laughs) And eventually Amazon will will own everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Now, Robert, uh, let's take this back. You and I have known each other now for, gosh, it's got to be 10 years, I think. Yep, I think so. I think it's been about 10 years. About the time where my life was derailing is when you entered and um, saved the day. Funny how, funny how a lot of guys have that same story. About uh, the time my life was derailing, I started taking walks with Nate. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's yeah. pretty much how it goes. Uh, well, nobody actually, it started with you walking into a Samson society, which few people do just out of idle curiosity. It's true. Well, I, I had heard about this from a mutual friend of ours, Father Thomas and uh-huh. Thomas McKenzie, and uh, he invited me and I went and I was blown away by the transparency and um, yeah, it was immediately attracted to it. And then I think we had some mutual friends. And so we chatted at that SAMHSA site meeting and then um, um, you became my Silas and we hung out every week and just, it was such an important part of my journey. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's rewind to uh, let's talk about how, yeah, how you got there. All right. Missionary kid. 
missionary kid in South Africa. Um, grew up there for 10 years, came back my senior year of high school. And just a quick story. This is actually kind of funny. Like, you know how we came back on furlough in sixth grade and, um, in sixth grade, when I was in California, what was really popular was Dukes of Hazard, bell bottom jeans and velour shirts <laughs> I went back to South Africa. And I guess compartmentalized time capsule that like, this is what America is. Oh, yeah. Until I came back in my senior year and opened up that time capsule and said, okay, I'm going to get ready to start my senior year school here. I need to get some bell bottoms and a velour shirt and a Dukes of Hazard lunchbox. And <laughs> I go walking into school with all those things on my senior year first day. Oh, no. And felt once more like I didn't fit in. Like, oh, my goodness, this is awful. I, I look ridiculous. So <laughs> that was lesson one of like, I'm not going to trust any, I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to take care of myself. I can't like, this is, this is out of control. So I came back and um, quickly got into my parents split up um, once we got back to America. So they had separated. I was in a new culture. I didn't really know anybody because all of my schooling was in South Africa. And so I made this kind of contract with myself that I wasn't going to trust anybody and that I was going to just do this on my own and that I wouldn't rely or depend on anybody else or any other thing because nothing was trustworthy. And so that started, um, I was already a very independent kind of person, but that started more reinforcing the, the walls of that independence and, and basically becoming roles that I played rather than a kind of a real person. And so now I got into business really quick. What's I got I gotta ask because yeah. you you came back from the mission field because your dad was accused of having an affair, yeah, and then your parents split up. Mm -hmm. Like, how much does that play a role into you deciding I'm on my own and can't trust anyone? Because I mean, that's that's huge for a kid that age. I think it probably it played it played a significant role because I didn't know you know he was accused of something I didn't want to believe. My mom lost her mind at that time and she had a nervous breakdown. And so she was not available. I didn't know what to think about my dad. I knew I loved him. And I, and I, you know, so I, it was just, I felt very abandoned and very, um, I don't know if betrayed is the right word. I guess so. As a, as a dependent, I felt betrayed. Um, and so, yeah, it just, it definitely contributed to me going, I can't rely or depend on anything or anybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I got into business pretty quick and <clears throat> um, had an affinity for the entertainment industry. I went to school for, you know, 30 seconds and, and then, well, actually a couple years, maybe a year and a half, but I, I got into a marketing company and became kind of rose up through the, the marketing company. And then I was like, I don't need a school anymore. Screw school. And so I, I got into my own business, started my own marketing firm, and that started leaning more towards music because I was in a Christian band out in Southern California and knew a lot of people in that arena. And so I thought, I mean, to make a long story, very condensed, um, I just started a record company out there and uh, found out very quickly that I didn't, I wasn't resourced to do that. I could make the records from a creative perspective, but I didn't have the resources to market them effectively. So um, my company got bought um, and moved back to Nashville and uh, by the company that bought me and they moved me back here to run it. And so that's how I ended up here in Nashville. 
Wow. And those were the go-go years of contemporary <laughs> Christian music, right? They were. Actually, it was an exciting time because, you know, everything in Christian music at that time was more AC-oriented. And I had the privilege of having someone that I worked for give me some time to kind of analyze, instead of just making a record, let's figure out what do you think is strategically the best way to go with our label. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of did this analysis, and that's a technical term for something that was not technical at all. I just kind of read charts. And what I realized was that in the mainstream market, the alternative crowd, the alternative music was dominating the charts and sales. Right. Um, but they did have some AC artists like Michael Bolton, Celine Dion, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And in the Christian market, it was AC with just a little bit, you know, adult contemporary, um, and then a little bit of the alternative thing. And I'm like going, okay, these are the same homes. It's not like a different country. It's just that we're not really being aggressive about going after alternative music. And so that's what I decided our mission would be used to go after more youth oriented stuff. And the first, second band, kind of the first band I signed was Jars of Clay. And that really set the tone for everything that we did really working in that alternative space. Yeah. 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 And was that, that was at the beginning of their career? Yeah. It was their first record. So that was, I mean, Talk about still got to be one of the biggest crossover albums ever, right? It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so many stories we could get off on there. But I think the one thing for me personally was it it fueled this. You can do it, Robert, and <laughs> you don't need anybody. And um, and so I like took the opportunity and we had many other successes after that. And I'm not saying that to self-congratulate myself at all. I mean, this is more to say I got lots of fuel for the fire that was kind of ready yeah. to burn. And that was just all about me. And so how old were you when all of that really hit? 28, I would guess. And were you, like mar- that. you were married at that time. So I got married um, to somebody that I met in Southern California that um, I saw at a convention here. She moved back here and I, it, it, uh, we saw each other at a convention. I thought it was a sign from God that I should get married. And three months later we were married, um, which is not recommended. So, and now you are in the whirlwind of uh, activity and success mm-hmm. and uh, success has got to be the worst thing for a chaotic heart. Well uh, said. Yes. Or a wandering heart. So give us, I mean, that's, you entered into stupidity within the Christian world, whereas so many people come to the Christian world out of stupidity. Because you discovered stupidity. stupidity. So well said. That's exactly right. I didn't drink or do drugs or anything carnal like that until I got involved in Christian music. And I'll be very clear here that, um, that I'm not the norm. I'm probably the 2% that, that, that actually are that mold. I, I was very much the more renegade kind of person that was just, you know, didn't care, just was reckless. And what I'd become very good at early on growing up in a missionary family is playing roles. And so I kept everything that I did compartmentalized. And I was a husband over on this side and became a dad. I was a executive on this side and, you know, all these different compartments, um, but none of them were integrated. And so I had real no identity. The closest that I got to integration is when I got drunk and it, the line started blurring cause I was impaired, which isn't a healthy way to get integrated um, mm-hmm. at all. 
And so that, that really led to me making some very poor decisions, um, self-destructive decisions that um, were less of a decision than an impulse, I guess. But nevertheless, it did not, um, it did not do good for our family. I remember one of the, <clears throat> there, were, there were so many stories that I could go into, but I think the thing that kind of turned me around that woke me up once was um, because, you know, we traveled a lot. We, I drank a lot. Um, Grammy parties and, you know, gold and platinum records. And it's just like, I, I, it's like a kid in a candy store. You know, I grew up in Africa, literally in tribal areas um, for part of it. There was once where we were surrounded by an, one tribe with one tribe in safe harbor in our, in our gates. And they were with spears. I mean, like no phone, no radio, no nothing. And then all of a sudden jet setting all over the world to make records and to be, you know, all these accolades. It was just a recipe for disaster for me because I just decided to live it up. And so did my wife. We, we just, we had a great time, a really <laughs> fun time. Um, but it was not, it was not a good foundation for a family. Um, a few things happened that kind of woke me up. I think the thing that I talk about in the book that was primary to me because this has to do with the industry and it has to do with my own failing is I went out to um, a local restaurant here in Franklin with some coworkers and we were just going to have some drinks, but that turned into a, a late night um, kind of party. We rented a limousine and just drove around Nashville, went to another restaurant and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, ended up coming back to this restaurant that we started at and um, it was about two o'clock in the morning. And uh, I remember getting out of the car of the limo and a friend of mine talking about uh, right next door to where we were dropped off was one of my competitors in the marketplace. Um, it was their office. And one of their main artists was Toby Mac. And his promotional vehicle was parked right outside their office. And so I thought it would be a really funny idea if we took our keys and went and vandalized his car and scratched it all up. And so we did that um, and then drove home. And honestly, I don't remember anything. I didn't remember anything about it. I don't, I don't even remember getting home that night. Um, the whole, I was just so inebriated that it just didn't, it didn't register. <clears throat> so about two, two or three weeks later, I was in that same restaurant and a friend of mine that worked at Forefront, the competitor's label, walked up to me and he goes, hey, Robert, can I ask you a question? Um, where were you on the night of September 12th? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. He goes, well... Someone that looks a lot like you um, got out of a car that looks a lot like your car and came over to Toby's promotional van and scratched it up with a key. And we haven't been able to identify the license plate, but I just saw you drive in and it matches the videotape that we captured of this incident. And at that moment, everything just came flooding back. I'm like, oh my gosh, I totally remember that. I remember the conversation with my buddy and I remember doing this and... And so we went to, um, I immediately went to, to meet with the head of Forefront and I said, I confessed it and I just basically said, listen, I, I can't believe I did this. And um, I was so afraid that every, I was going to lose everything because um, he could have, he could have taken me out. My, just my job, I, it was an embarrassment to, it was embarrassment to our company. It was embarrassing to me as a, as um us as a family. But after I confessed all this stuff to him, Greg said, he goes, Robert, I want you to know that I forgive you. And I also want you to know that I believe you. And I believe that you 
are really remorseful about this. And I appreciate that. And so I want to tell you that if this ever comes up and if I hear of this in my office, if I hear anyone talking about this, I'll fire them because this is as far as I'm concerned, as far as Toby's concerned, um, this is over. And then he, we read some passages together in the Bible and he gave me his Bible and, and that was that. And I think that was, that got my attention so much because here was someone in the industry that was my primary competitor that had me down as like, you know, a gladiator standing above his prey and, you know, the it's all up to the king, whether it's thumbs up or thumbs down to take his head off. And Greg said, thumbs up and not only thumbs up, but let me bless you. And it was authentic. It wasn't just what I had learned. It wasn't a learned behavior. And so that was the first time I saw real authentic. Well, not the first time there's probably many other examples, but that's one of the primary things that sticks out to me of like, wow, this is real. What I'm doing is real. And so that started a path to kind of correcting some of the ways I was living. Um, some of the destructive patterns that I had created for myself and my wife. And um, unfortunately she uh, dove deeper into her vice and, um, and eventually her vice got the best of her and uh, to spare all the details, it doesn't really matter. <clears throat> but then, you know, I guess it was probably four years after that she ended up leaving um, and uh, just leaving the girls and I. How, how did that I mean, now you've got a second abandonment and it's at a time that you're trying to work on yourself. And I know that can be the loneliest place for a spouse to be when they're working on themselves and their spouse won't come along for the journey. Mm -hmm. So where did that touch you going back to that senior in high school that's experiencing the first abandonment and your first, uh, development of tools of, of going solo that you would find did not serve you well? Um, I think it was, it's interesting cause I'm a recovering codependent too. So, um, it was different than the first abandonment because this is one I believe I created myself and I believed that I deserved for her to have her fun. I believe that, um, I had lived so recklessly that I, um, I didn't drive her to this place, but I certainly uh, contributed to it. And so it was, this was more of a shame based kind of mm -hmm. path for me. And, um, I had to recover from that as well, but, um, it definitely triggered the abandon. There were things about her walking out and, um, going through the divorce that felt similar to, you know, the bottom dropping out prior, but this was a little bit more, this was more, I saw some of the effects of my destructive behavior and how everything costs something. Um, mm. and so I, I, you know, I, I know full well that I didn't make her leave and I know that I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't form her vices for her. Um, she's responsible for her choices, but, um, now I'm married again. And now I look at my marriage very differently and realize that, you know, there's a, there's a cause and effect to everything. I think the thing that was most significant about her leaving was at the same time within three months prior to her leaving, I actually didn't renew my contract with my label with the, the company. And so I was venturing out to start again. So all within six months or actually three months, I was out of work and my wife left. And so that's when the bottom really dropped out for me. Mm. How did you react to that? Was, was there a temptation to go back to your old vices to self-soothe? 
a good question. Um, yeah, there was, but when you are a single parent, you don't have the luxury of, of just thinking about yourself. Um, I mean, had I been an addict, um, addicted in to, to substances, maybe I would, I would say that differently, but the choice was apparent to me that I needed to be a father first. And so, um, the self soothing, I think as you called it, wasn't, um, it wasn't as much of an option to me. Mm. So at this point, man, you got three beautiful little girls, uh, intelligent, energetic, creative uh they got to be a handful the three yeah yeah they were how old <laughs> were they i'm a guy yeah uh, how old were they at this point they were um nine seven and four. Oh wow holy smokes yeah so and nate you remember this well because i remember talking at length with you about i don't know what to do about this i don't know what to do about that and i'm just you know it was it was chaotic it was yeah. absolutely chaotic um because mom at that point was out of the picture um she only had supervised visitation and uh, but she was fighting me all the time so i was in court five or six times a year dealing with custody issues and you know so it was it was incredibly frantic yeah and yeah manic yeah 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 so where where do you start developing these new tools? Now, this is, I'm sure, where the book comes in. So, so tie this in for me. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, honestly, where this all started, where this, all these different compartments uh, of my life and the roles that I had played started integrating was when I started going to the Samson Society meetings. And I don't mean this is just a plug. And I would say this if, Nate, you weren't on the line. In fact, I do say this whenever I'm talking to anyone. I said this to Focus on the Family on the air last week. Um, it really was because of that. When I saw that men could sit in a room and start to be authentic with each other and just unload their secrets mm. and, and trust that there's a safe place that that can be done. And then to reflect on the fact that our God sees us the same way and that um, he wants us to unload and to bring these things to him, that kind of discipline or that, I guess, perspective really started shaping a more integrated person, someone that didn't have to pretend or play roles. I was so, so good um, at telling people what they wanted to hear mm. and, um, and, and not just to make them happy, but to get my way to manipulate things. And so um, going to the Samson society and then um, like I do talk about in the book, just the two people that I, I mean, Thomas McKenzie, who was my pastor and Nate that were really authentic friends to me and mm. not because they gave me all the wisdom in the world and all that. I mean, that happened too, but it was more that they knew me and still wanted to hang around me. Not because I brought them a record deal or because I could offer them anything, but just because, just because. Mm. And, um, that is what started my road to recovery, um, from myself and understanding um, who I really was, uh, the real me, um, that I, that it was in that season when everything was stripped away. You know, you can't, the thing about going through divorce or a death is you don't have everything. I didn't have a job. I didn't have a marriage. I didn't have anything I could point to and say, I'm going to find my identity in this. I guess I could be father. Um, but at that time it was just more like, I'm just Robert. And, um, 
to some very special people like Nate and Thomas and a few other people, um, that was enough. And mm. so I started on the road to realizing that, um, as I say in the book, like either the thing about the solo season is you either define the season or the season defines you. And instead of just walking through and just being tumbled about by all the things I could start to be deliberate about using the season to reflect on who I am as a person, who I am in God's eyes and, and come to a fuller realization um, of what my priorities are in life and what I'm here for. Um, and so on the other side of this, on the other, I'm not single anymore. Um, I look back and go that season was the most important season of my life as far as conversion. And I'm not mm-hmm. talking about just following Jesus. I'm talking about a life conversion where things shifted for me in a significant way. And that's really what the book is about. Going solo is really not necessarily about the practical tips of single parenting. It is that there's a lot of that in there, but the primary message is really understanding that the solo season is the, is probably one of the most, um, opportune times to understand intimacy with our father. And, um, and the only way intimacy happens is through authenticity. And so, um, that's what happened on my road. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping that single parents around the country will, um, come to realize that they they can actually be productive in the season. This isn't, this isn't just a timeout zone. Um, Jesus, when he traveled, he traveled with his disciples, but when he really communed with his father, he went alone. Mm-hmm. And um, whether that be into the desert or the garden of Gethsemane or whatever, he spent time alone. And um, so going solo to me doesn't look like the penalty zone. It looks like something deliberate if you, if you want it to be deliberate. And so that's my encouragement to single parents is that they use this time wisely. So what's the most surprising or impacting thing you discovered about your heavenly father during that season? Is that he wasn't disappointed in me and um, that I didn't have to perform for him and that his love for me was, and this sounds trite, um, was unconditional. And his love for me was not just words. It was pursuit and, um, Mm. and a real, genuine like affection for me like i actually love the shack i I, the idea of you know god the father being very fond of us Mm -hmm. i mean it's like Mm. we think of we think of god as someone that like okay well let's clean up and let's you know get everything together and and he'll be cool but the fact that he has affection for us was something that i had not encountered or i guess not really realized until then yeah 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 I'm so sure you've. Oh, go ahead, Nate. <laughs> I, I uh, I'm, I'm very interested in the formation of the solo parent society. Um, I love the fact that God has given you an eye. Uh, it's not really a marketer's eye so much as it's. Uh, you have a, a a prophetic vision. I think uh, you're able to see injustice. You're able to see a need for mercy. You can see a need, and you are impelled to do something about it. Uh, I know that during your years as a solo parent, you actually uh, did something about the absence of quality uh, Christian entertainment for uh, Christian kids in the tween years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, Nate, you're you're leaving us in the dust again. I don't know what this solo parent <clears throat> society is. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, we're going to get to it. it. What yeah. is it? <laughs> so, uh, I've heard uh, Bunker, our good friend Bunker, mutual mm. friend Bunker, talk about the church's deification of the nuclear family. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and I hear a, I hear this complaint from single guys in the Samson Society who kind of feel this constant, although largely unspoken bias, but it's very, very real to them. It seems as though so much of our conversation is about uh, how to improve your marriage, right? which leaves out in the cold this one third of us who aren't married, right? Mm, right. Yeah. I, I think that also uh, I'll add to that. I'm sorry, you weren't finished. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. I also think the idea that I, I, we live in a culture which is so little about process and so much about fixing and so mm -hmm. much about, okay, give me the steps, um, not the steps to process, but the steps to like, okay, how do I fix everything? And yeah. so improving your marriage, improving, you know, whatever it is, like, where is doing life? Like, where is the part of, of the church that says, okay, let's just process together. And so- yeah. Yeah, I do think that um, single people people are left out because there are a lot of programs for fixing your marriage or strengthening your marriage. I think it's great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But mm -hmm. there, I think there's an absence of um, embracing embracing everybody. Yeah, yeah. So what you saw in the Samson Society was messed up guys uh, living life together mm -hmm. uh, right. w without without imposing solutions on each other. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that really created the framework for, and with your blessing, Nate, because I, I talked to you early before I, you know, started these groups. What I learned in the Samson Society was just that if you create some structure to um, process together, um, it can transform a life. And mm -hmm. I believe that's what's happened for me. And so, um, when I started iShine, which was the tween ministry that you mentioned that came out of the hurt in my own family and, and the fact that my girls were tweens and there was nothing for them. And so, and that ministry is continuing to go on with books and Bibles and TV shows and tours and that kind of thing. Um, and that was a huge passion for me. I will say though, that solo parent society is um, so much more about my story, not just doing this for my girls, but this is about, I've lived this, I've walked this path. I know what it's like to be completely overwhelmed where you just, you, you just don't know that there's hope. You don't know that you can get through this. You feel completely isolated and alone. Um, and some of the best relief that I felt came from doing life together with people. Mm. And that's what the society represents to me, the Samson society. But now that we're starting the solo parent society or it's started, that's pretty, it's in keeping with what the vision for, uh, for solo parent society is. Yeah. yeah. So talk to us about the solo parent. Oh, society. forget it. I'm just Googling it now. Nobody's going to tell me. I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're in our infancy, but, um, we, so the book is coming out, um, that comes out April 3rd. Um, I've been doing a podcast for almost a year now. Um, and basically the solo parent society podcast is, um, there's two different formats. There's one where we interview people that are experts in fields, um, also other single parents, just so other single parents can hear what's going on in other people's lives. Because like we, we've been talking about, I think it's really important to help single parents know that they're not alone 
and to know that they're not damaged to the point of like, you can't, there's nothing of value that you have anymore. And they need to hear that and they need also tips. And so that's the podcast. Um, and then the, the solo parent society groups are something that we started at my church here at church of the city in Franklin. And it was modeled similar to what Samson society is where there's a format that it's an open share. It's a formal share and then it go, breaks into smaller groups and mm. it really, there's no crosstalk. It's, it's all formatted in, in a way that, um, that creates structure, but a lot of freedom for, um, just dealing with topics. And we have 13 different topics that we cycle through. Just um, We just keep cycling through the same topics because frankly, the, the topics are, um, they look different to a single parent almost every time we approach them. Overwhelmed yes. this week will look different than overwhelmed 13 weeks from now. And so we just, um, there is structure to it, but it's a lot of freedom to just do life together. And um, with the first week, this is really interesting. The first week that we rolled this out at Church of the City, well, within a week, we were at full capacity, um, and it was never mentioned from the pulpit. <laughs> Another interesting uh, fact about that is that 30% of the people that have been coming to Solo Parent Society don't attend the church. So as far as an outreach, it's just been such a huge need. And the the responses that we've been getting from people that have gone through this and are continuing on it are just that I found my people. I mean, this is, I mean, just just providing a place for them to belong and to share with each other is transformational in and of itself, but incorporate scripture and incorporate like just guide. One of the parts of our, our meeting is actual just meditation is three minutes of silence where we just reflect that doesn't happen in a single parent's life. There is no margin for rest. There is no margin for um, taking time out, but that actually taking time out was fundamental uh, was a fundamental part of my solo parent journey, pausing and taking time in meditation. So it's been amazing. And so April 3rd to coincide with the book, we're, land, we're launching it nationally. I've had about 16 churches reach out to me and ask if they could start the same thing at their group, um, at their churches. And we've kind of been holding it back and tweaking the format and everything, but now we're ready to kind of let it go. And so the, getting all the kits together and we're making it available. Um, Two questions come to mind. Yeah. Uh, first, in my research, I found that 67% of solo parents feel judged and like they don't belong. Mm -hmm. Thank you for putting that on your website. That's a very, very good research. Uh, uh, so <laughs> I am curious, uh, two questions. One, what is the ratio of men to women that you've seen looking for help? And two, have you seen kind of a different different ways or different things that men and women struggle with as moms or dads in the solo journey or the solo season, as you call it? Great question. Um, I would say that a third of the people that come to our solo parent society meetings are men and two thirds women. Primarily that's because from what we've heard at the meetings, um, the ones that come to the meetings are the ones that have um, the kids most of the time. Mm -hmm. And um, because they're the ones that are really absolutely taxed. And it doesn't mean that, that there are people that come that, that, you know, don't have them. In fact, one of the guys, it's a regular, he doesn't live with his kids, but he's still a single parent. Um, the things that they deal with that are different are, are actually um, just a, a small fraction. I mean, there's just a very little bit that they deal with that is different from each other, men or women, um, which is surprising to me. I would think that they would be, um, they would be vastly different. 
Yeah, just two totally different lists. Right, but it's not. And I think the thing that we've heard from um, men and women is when they are together co-ed and they're in the same group, it actually is part of the healing process to hear that men actually deal with some of the same stuff. And because a lot of times when you're on the other side of a divorce specifically, you are thinking that that other sex is they're the enemy. And that's not true. It's people that, that like create situations. It's not a race and it's not a gender. Um, life is messy. And so I think that's been a very interesting piece of it. And I just, I mean, with the solo parent society that our, our three focuses are, um, creating community, which is the solo parent society, the groups, um, creating resources that are like the podcast and we've got other books and works and, and resources and then changing the conversation. I feel very called solo parent society. I am not the answer for single parents. I believe the church God through the church is the answer to single parents. I mean, I consider these widows and orphans of our culture. Mm. I believe, I mean, yeah, the yeah, one in sure. three families in America, according to the U S census are single parented homes and 67% like you just exposed. Um, <laughs> don't go to church because they feel judged. And but, they, yeah, but that's the problem. Belong. Like, how do we not, hmm, what is the message to a church where 67% of people feel judged? The answer is community, which is supposed to be found within the body of Christ. And yet right. when someone gets a divorce, that immediately ends up creating distance and shame between them and the answer that they need. So what's the, what's the message to churches on how to start uh, behaving differently towards somebody who's in the middle of this trauma? I want to believe and I do believe <clears throat> that it's not a lack of concern for on behalf of the churches to the single parent community. I don't think it's because they don't care about these families. Um, I just don't think they know how to get to them and how to reach them, how to build community because it looks different than a nuclear family. And it doesn't look like a singles group. It doesn't look like, you know, couples group. Um, that's why what we've created with the solo parent society kind of kit is it's just, it's very simple for a church to go, okay, this is the first step that we can take in bringing people into the fold. It doesn't require a great deal of, we don't need teachers. Mm -hmm. We don't need, um, pastors to fix people. We just need a room, <laughs> mm -hmm. a flipboard and, um, and these guidebooks. And that's really all that it takes. And so it's a first step. And in doing that, churches learn a great deal about the single parent community and can actually start to resource themselves. Um, but it takes the first step. And so what we're trying to do with Solo Parent Society is change the conversation and help churches realize that there is a group out there that needs them and then provide them with the resources to take the first step to, to creating a community for them. Nice. And all of that can be found at soloparentsociety.com. Yes? Yes, it can. Absolutely. Wow. And that is very cool. I love, uh, we, at our church, we have a group of folks that cook meals every week uh, that go out to about 80 people a week. And one week it'll be seniors and every other week it'll be single parent. That's home. awesome. That's awesome. Because it really is. This is the widow and orphan situation in our culture more than almost anything else. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I, yeah. I love that you've got this going. And I, I, think, uh, I think we might have to start one of these. I'm looking at your resources right now. You guys talk amongst yourselves. I'm just browsing. Uh, <laughs> Soloparentsociety.com. <laughs> yeah. Now, how, 
let me just ask you this, Robert. Uh, how long was your period of uh, solo parenting? You were single for how long? I was a single dad for eight and a half years. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So pretty much like, um, yeah, a, a lot of the girls childhood or the chunk of their, you know, tween into teenage years. I was a single yeah. dad. Yeah. Yeah. And then you met and married. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then you got the adventure of the blended family. Maybe that'll be, that's the next book, <laughs> the next book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm still learning that. That's uh, it's awesome. It's just a completely different dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. But I just love the way that God has used your brokenness, your foolishness, <laughs> uh, even your rebellion, mm-hmm. uh, for a redemptive purpose. And, um, and using your life to bring hope and, um, you know, to, to other people. And it, it, I just love that you have, you're living outward now. Hmm. Yeah. It's something I, I can't, I was telling someone the other day, I can't not do this. I mean, even if, even if I fail, um, I just, I, I can't not do what, what I'm doing right now. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm tremendously excited about it. Yeah. And and you're so committed, brother, that you walked away from, uh, I mean, you wound things up at iShine. iShine is continuing to be very much a going concern, but Mm -hmm. you wanted to devote yourself fully to. Yeah. So I took a, I took a step of faith. It's probably the biggest one that I've done. Um, And, and just basically left uh, I Shine in very capable hands and, and knew that, you know, with the launch of the book and going national with the society, um, I wasn't going to be able to, to be two places at once, at least not the spokesperson for both. Yeah. And so um, March 1st, you know, I wound up my time day to day there and yeah. I, you know, I'll do whatever I can to help I Shine, but my focus is exclusively now on Solo Parent Society. Do you see yourself doing much uh, traveling and speaking? Or are you going to do most of it from I'd like Tennessee? To. I definitely want to get out and speak. I've got, I, I'm starting to do that more. And it's a transition for me because I'm used to being the guy behind the artist and pushing them out. Yeah. And so for now to think about me going out there and tell a story, but the more I get out there, I mean, I've learned from just watching, it's just telling your story yeah, because it really it. isn't yeah. about us. It's about what God has done for us. And in yeah. us, so. have you put together any kind of a one day, a workshop or conference format that would help a church launch a solo parent society? We're working on that right now. Um, okay. And it's not out there yet. It, but here's the thing. I think for churches, they don't, it doesn't require a big hoopla. I mean, yeah. we have all the tools that we need to promote it. Um, and, but it's, it's, um, it's just incredible. I mean, you, you know, you started uh, yeah. society, you just kind of start. Yeah. It just kind of takes its own life. And so um, that's the the thing I would really want churches to know is that yes, we are creating one days and we're trying to get into that, that, that world, but it, we don't have to go there first. It's yeah. just taking a small step. I mean, it is just, and, and the results have been incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The need is so great. Uh, uh, the appetite is so huge that mm-hmm. if you'll just provide the opportunity and the, and the basic tools of uh, people will show up and life will begin. That's right. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Well, Robert, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I can't tell you how grateful I am for you, how inspired I am by your story. Likewise. I've, I've loved being here and I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you do. And like I said, this is, uh, 
I've been a really large part of my transformation, the Samson Society and everything you guys stand for. Hey, are you still going to have uh, an office down on Main Street in Franklin where I could continue no. to bump into you? No, I'm not. I'm not. Um, okay. Fortunately, I'm working out of my home now. So, okay. Um, I wish. It'll have to be intentional rather than accidental for it us will. to get together. Okay. We'll definitely do that though. Okay. All right. You can check everything out at soloparentsociety.com. Uh, Robert Beeson, thank you for being with us. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back on the Pirate Month Podcast. I have no fear of drowning. to the pirate monk podcast that was that was great i gotta say it must have been a good story he was giving because i enjoyed it the second time every bit as much as the first time <laughs> and, and thanks for taking the bullet but you know listeners should know i was recording and then because of the storm uh my power went out and i was sitting in the dark with all the computers off which erased what i was recording so you were just supposed to be the backup but yeah 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 uh, we can we can blame god there you go all right and he's big enough to he's big enough to take it hey he's not afraid uh i don't want to end this episode of the podcast without mentioning the virtual meetings at samsonsociety.com and specifically the newest one which i'm quite uh, excited about the pastors only meeting uh which happens on wednesdays so if uh, now we've got some some uh, we're trying to protect the privacy of our pastors. Uh, there are some hoops you've got to jump through in order to uh, actually join that meeting. But if you are a pastor and are looking for a safe place to be your real self and say the real truth among, among men who can process life with you and hold your confidence and uh, help you take that next uh, part of the journey, go ahead and send me uh, uh, an email, nate at samsonhouse.org. That would get me. Or send one to Dr. Tom Mocha, tom at samsonhouse.org. And uh, we'll let you know how to get in on that pastor's only virtual pirate monk meeting. I am looking forward to... Uh to jumping in on that today. Okay. And it's going great from everything I've heard. All right, brother. Uh, we also would love to hear from you, whether you're a pastor or not, uh, drop us a note, uh, with any questions, comments, uh, or pushback, send that to pirate monk podcast at gmail.com. And we do have uh, we do have at least one more podcast in the immediate future. And actually, I was approached today about another. So I think we're going to be able to get on track, back on track here, Aaron. I do hope so. Uh, It'll be good. 
yeah. good to connect with people. And uh, I will be looking forward to uh, just just so people know we are working on another Samson retreat that hopefully will be coming to your neck of the woods. Uh, we love to get to hang out with listeners and fellow pirates. So uh keep your ears open for those details okay all right well i guess that's about it until next time and we promise it's not going to be such a long gap between our appearances until next time i'm nate i'm pepe (laughs) and we are your pals on the pirate monk podcast Way down in Virginia, amongst the tall grown sugar cane, lived a simple man and a dominica hen and a rose of a different name. Well, the first time I felt lightning, I was standing in drizzling rain, with a trembling hand and a bottle of gin and a rose of a different name. The devil made me do it the first time The second time I done it on my own Lord put a handle on the simple-handed man And helped me leave that black rose alone